Hey, what's up? My name is Steven, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Let's jump in. Made week three as we're looking at um, our identity. And, it, you know, identity can be a complicated thing. There's a lot of different facets to it and, and how we present ourselves, how people see us. And we, we're, we're kind of building foundationally. Um, and next week we will look at how Scripture says um, who we are in Christ. Uh, but I want to build a foundation of some truths. One, that we all understand. The first week we talked about that, that every single person on this planet is made in the image of God, that that is unchangeable. No matter how much society and culture tells you that you can undo the physical things about our identity, it does not change the image of the one in who we are made. Because guess what? His image is unchanging. So if his image is un unchanging and we are made in that image, our image is unchanging. And then we look at our identity, and our identity is what we project or present to the world to see us, to try to get them to create an image that we want, but we're not building for an image, we're building from an image. And then last week, we looked at this idea of seeing ourselves through these different lenses, and you have the culture lens where culture tells you what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to act, what you're supposed to say, how you're supposed to look. There's these cultural lenses that influence us. And then also with, within us, we have this comparison where we see other people who are like us or different than us, and we compare how we're created, how we're made, how we're supposed to be to them. But the ultimate lens that we look through is not really answering the question of, of who am I or who am I in Christ, but we settle on this truth is, is who is Christ in me? Because Jesus asked Peter, he said, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, we think, you know, you're Elijah, one of the other prophets. And he's like, but, but who do you say that I am? Because that's the most important. It's not what other people say, but it's about what you say, who you say Christ is. And before you can answer the question of who am I, before we can answer the question of who am I in Christ, we have to answer this question, who is Christ to me? Because that's the foundational truth that we build our life on. And I heard, was reminded of this thought as we come to know him and we're walking in relationship, uh, and this is another pastor's word, so the grammar is terrible for all my teachers out there, but, but, but we start with saying it's, it's me and Christ walking through life together. And then we change our position in that statement as like not me first, but it's Christ and I or Christ and me walking. But then as we get to understand our relationship with him even more, we say, well, it's Christ in me that allows me to do this. It's Christ in me. We are still in the picture in all three of those statements. But at some point, the absolute truth is it's just Christ. Because Paul says, it's not me. It's not I that live in this body, but it's Christ in me, right? And so it's ultimately Christ. And so today I wanna, with the lens of understanding Christ, 
I'll, I want to take kind of a microscope and I want to turn the mirror in, inward just a little bit and look at ourselves. So go to Psalm chapter 39, um, verse 13. Psalm chapter 39, 139, verse 13. It's, it's, it's a familiar passage. I used it um, quite often when I was counseling teenagers, reminding them of their worth and their value. And you used to think that it's only something teenagers struggle with because it's such a harsh transitionary period and, and learning your boundaries and what you're capable of and friends. And, and what I'm realizing is that it's not just a teenage thing that we walk through, but we walk through it in our 20s. We walk through it in our 30s, our 40s. We are walking through some season. And so I want to remind all of us of this truth. And so in verse 13, it says, you made me, David speaking to God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. There's some craftsmanship taking place there. It says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. Most of us may know this and remember where David says that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. How well I know your craftsmanship. In verse 15, it says, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Think about that. Like God saw you even before your frame was formed. He knew your persona. He knew your giftings, your traits. Your per before you were born, he knew you. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And let me pray for the word of the Lord for us. God, we thank you for your word. We stand on the truth that it is surgical and it is precise, that it cuts to the core of who we are, revealing us to ourselves, showing us who we are and who we are supposed to be. And God, your word says in Isaiah that you cause it to go out, that you send it out, and it does exactly what you want it to. So let your word work in us today. Amen. Um, so looking at this, there's some truths that I want to give us from Psalm 139. And, and the first one is this, is, and, and, and I want you to write it as this, because I want it to be a declaration. I want it to be a statement for you. And the first is this, is that God made me wonderfully complex. And those of you that are married, you may want to think complicated, right? It made me, there's some complication there, but, but even complex and the intricacies, even if you just think about your physical frame, your physical body and all the systems that are in place from the respiratory system, as we take a deep breath together and we let it out, hopefully you have a mint in your mouth for your neighbors, right? But as we let it out, just to think of all the things that are taking place within our bodies, that our bodies are taking the oxygen, the air that we bring in and removing the oxygen from the air, implementing it into our bloodstream, feeding our organs and nourishing our organs. And as we exhale, it is removing the toxins and the carbon dioxide from our body so that we can continue. Our bloodstream, our, our circulatory system is connected to that, providing the blood and the nutrients to all the organs, our digestive system as we get ready to go eat lunch today, uh, whether you're going to eat tacos or Mexican or burgers, as, as we eat whatever healthy food or trash food that we put in our body, our body removes whatever nutrients is there to help us to grow physically. 
and to think about how all of that, and that's just like how our body works. That's not getting into the mind and our memory and our thought processes and our cognition and, and how those things work together without us even really thinking about it. How many of you right now are constantly telling your heart to beat? You're not. It's doing it without you saying a word. You don't have to tell yourself to breathe most of the time, right? There, there are times where you do have to tell yourself to breathe. I remember the first time I snorkeled. It was like trying to breathe. It was, it was so hard. I was like, breathe, 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 right? But most, most of the things that happen in our body, we don't have to think about it. It, even our thoughts, we don't have to tell our thoughts to do. It just happens. We're wonderfully complex. We're fearfully and wonderfully made and understanding that, that all of that plays a role in how we see ourselves and who we are. And, and when I think about asking someone, um, who are you? Someone asks me, my mind, just how my mind works, always goes back to a scene in a cartoon that I watched in a as a kid, about a girl falling down a rabbit hole. And she goes into this wonderland with all these strange creatures, and she gets asked a question by what? You guys seen Alice in Wonderland? What was it? It was a caterpillar. Catabatiller, right? A cab... No, I can't say it. I was trying to be funny. <laughs> a caterpillar. And he asks the question, what does he say? Who are you? And when you take it from the book... He asks, who are you? And this wasn't an encouraging opening for a conversation, it says out of the book. And this is what Alice replied. She says, well, I, I hardly know, sir. Just at present, at least, I know who I was when I got up this morning. But I think I must have changed a few times since then. Would you guys agree to that statement? That, you know, that sometimes by the end of the day, you're not the same person you were when you woke up in the morning? depending on how the day went. Some of us wake up, you know, uh, Princess Fiona in the morning, and then we get home and we're Ogre Fiona, right? Or we're Ogre Shrek, just depending on how the day goes. And that takes place just within the course of 24 hours. Now, now let's broaden that out over the course of weeks and months and years, and dare I even say decades for some of us, that we are not the same. I was having a conversation with one of our team members just yesterday, and that that life, the experiences that we go through, they change us a little. And how we integrate God's presence and God's word in our life will determine how these experiences shape us, right? And so when we look at this, let's, let's talk today. Next week, we'll talk about spiritual identity. But I also know, like, we also have to interact in society, okay? And, and I, I want to say this. I heard a pastor one time say that everything is spiritual, that when you look at everything God has created, that, that there is a spiritual element to it. I can even tell you that if you look in certain secular songs and movies, that there are spiritual elements in there. You know why? Because the thumbprint of the one who created those elements is on them. And so it's going to be there. And so when we look at the social element of, of our identity, in psychology and sociology, they call this our social identity. And, and there are layers to our social identity, just like you have layers of an onion, right? You peel it, and there's another layer. You have layers in a lot of different things. And so we're going to work away from the outside to the inside. And so we're, this, this outside layer is what psychologists call your given identity. And we all have this. 
And these are portions of our identity, that characteristics that we have that we didn't get to choose. We didn't get to choose what country we were born in. You were just born in it. We didn't get to choose what gender or what sex we were born. And I know, like, culture is trying to tell you that this is changeable, this is fluid. But when you look at Scripture, it says that he created them how? Male and female, right? Sex. But he also said gender, man and woman. He created them. So, so there's, that's, that is given to us other things, you know. Um, our race, how that plays into our identity, that's given to us. We didn't get to choose that. Our birth order. Where's all my firstborns in the room? Let's go. But do you ever wish just for a moment you could have been the baby in the family? Because, it's, <laughs> because it seems like the baby gets whatever they want. What about my middle children? Are they in here? I see you. I know sometimes you don't feel seen, but I see you, okay? I see you. You exist, and you're awesome, right? But we don't, like, we can't change the order in which we're born in, and we have to understand, like, that plays a role in how we see ourselves. Certain physical abilities, physical disabilities, physical attributes. And I know, like, some of those we can change now. We can change our hair color. I can. It would change my scalp color. We can change our eye color. We can change different things about us. But when it comes to our height and different things, there are physical attributes about us that we're given. We didn't get to choose. And certain personality attributes, um, attributes we didn't get to choose. And so understand, this is the outer layer, according to psychology and sociology. But then there's a layer under that. And these are our chosen characteristics. These are the things that we get to choose. And, and you can look at your life and you can see these decisions that you made about where you went to school. And so part of your identity may be um, your alma mater. So like I was, went to Austin P, and so I'm a governor. I was in a fraternity. That's, that's a part of my identity. Those are things that, that I got to choose, career choice. We associate that. And, you know, it's, I try to be careful when I'm meeting new people that the first question I ask them after what's your name, typically what's the next question? What do you do, right? What do you do? And I want to be careful that we don't wrap our identity up in what we do, but we get to choose that, our educational progression. And I know everyone starts at a different place and what they can accept, but we also get to make choices of how hard we want to work in progressing in our education, um, religious affiliation, political affiliation, family responsibilities. These are all characteristics and parts of our identity that we get to choose. It's the second layer, but this inner layer is the one I want to spend the most time on. And this is our core identity. These are these deep-seated, deeply embedded characteristics of who we are. And what we can do is we can take and integrate some of our given and some of our chosen, bring those things from the outside and bring them to the inside so that they're deeply seated in who we are. But can I just say we need to be careful about what we bring into the core of who we are? Because a lot of those things on those first two layers and levels, they're temporary and they're surface. And they can be, not always, they can be superficial and shaky when times get tough, right? They can be that... Um, sandy foundation that scripture talks about, building your foundation and your house on sand, on those characteristics are more superficial. 
Um, but these are the things, these core identity things. This is where when we are alone and we're thinking about us, this is where we find our self-worth. This is where we draw our self-esteem. This is where we create the window, this worldview that we look at the rest of society, how we look at ourselves. This is where we make decisions based on right or wrong come from this internal core identity. And oftentimes, just like I said, like our heart's beating, we don't tell it to beat. We make decisions oftentimes not even realizing that we're making decisions. How many of us at times we drive home from work and we pull in the driveway and we don't really remember the last couple of turns we made? I don't want to live anywhere near you, okay? I'm just kidding. But unless you're asleep, okay, um, that's because we've done it so much, it's really become a part of who we are and we can do it without even really thinking about it. There are decisions that we make. There are projections of ourselves that we have that come so naturally we don't even think about it because it's deeply seated in who we are. And we have to guard that. We have to make sure that we filter that. David's son, who wrote Psalm 139, David's son Solomon, wrote this in Proverbs chapter 4 about this. He's given some instructions to his son. He says, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen to, me, listen to my words carefully. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them before you. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them, healing to the whole body. And this last verse is a familiar verse. It says, to guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. That what goes into your heart, the deepest core of who you are, that directs everything else from your life knowingly, but also unknowingly. Jesus says it another way, that, that out of the treasury of a good heart, a man brings out good things, good fruit. Out of the treasury of an evil heart, a man brings out evil deeds or evil fruit. And so what is in our heart is going to come out. And that is a part of who we are in our identity. So here's what I, I want to take this core identity, and I want us to do an evaluation on it. And it's not going to take place just in the next 20 minutes as, as you listen to a sermon. This is something that you're going to have to take and listen to and then go over the next couple of weeks and apply and do something with it in order for the message to take root and take effect and shape your life. You're going to have some homework today. Is that okay? You're not going to have to turn it into me though, okay? <laughs> All right? Uh, I, I taught one year and I was terrible about grading work. So you don't have to worry. I don't, I don't want to grade it, okay? I want you to do the work so you can see who you are. And so there's some things within our, our core identity that I want to uncover and I want you to look at. And, and the first, this deep-seated characteristic, the first thing that, that, that we have to build on is our beliefs. Our beliefs. And we have to ask ourselves this question. What do I believe, dot, 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 really? What do I believe? Jesus and Peter were having the conversation about who he was, and Peter unashamedly, very quickly determined what he believed about who Jesus was. And so what, what do you believe and why? And I know, you know, those of us in ministry are, are talking, you know, there's this buzzword, and some of you may have heard it or bought into it. There's this buzzword for those who have grown up in church that, that we're deconstructing our faith, right? And, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
as long as you have a plan to reconstruct back in its place. That, that we are taking out these cultural things that maybe we walked through and believed because it's what we were told, but as we're looking in life, where we're at and in Scripture, it may not be foundational things. Let's deconstruct that, but let's put the truth back in that place so that it's not a wall that could crumble. But what do you believe really about who God is, who is Jesus to you? What do you believe really about about the truth of this? Is this good advice? Or is this the truth upon which all other truths are built on? We have to make that decision because what we believe is what we will stand for, is what we will stand on, is what we will give our life for, is what we will debate for, is what we will live for. So what do you believe really? That's that's level one. Then on top of that, the next most important thing within our core identity is our values. Our values. Our values direct, when they're built on what we believe, our values direct our decisions. They direct our relationships. They direct our priorities. All of those things our values do, but it has to be built on truth and you got to decide what the truth is. And so the questions we ask for this, two things, these two questions is what's important to me? What's important to me? And at different seasons, that's going to change. Right now, what's important and who's important to me? So those two questions, what's important, who's important? Because those are going to shape and direct your values. When I was in college, my daughters weren't very important to me. Isn't that terrible? You know why? I didn't have daughters then, right? But now my daughters and my wife are very important to me. It's a value. Family is something that I hold. And so in different seasons, you're going to have values that you have to decide. But you know what has always been one of my values? Since I got out of college, actually while I was in college, while I was in high school, family is one of the most important things. And, and I, I come to build that as a great value because of what I saw my dad do. And, and his value for family looks different than my value for family looks. So his value for family was work hard, provide for his family. We lacked for nothing financially. But do you know what I did lack? I lacked a lot relationally. And so now in my life, value for me and my family is I'm making sure my girls lack for nothing, but I'm making sure my wife and my kids lack for nothing relationally. So where are your values? Who do you value? Um, social influences. So as we look at our, our beliefs as kind of foundational, we build our values on that. Then we um, distribute and bring in our social influences based on those two things. And the questions I want to ask you to ask yourself is, is who do you look up to and whose opinion do you value? Let's start there and then we'll get to the other ones. Who do you look up to and, who do you va- and, 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 and whose opinion matters to you? Because we can, most of us, very easily answer the question, who do you look up to? There's been times in my life where I made a list of people that influenced me and, and one of them was, was one of my science teachers, Mr. Larry Russell. Um, tall, giant, smart aleck of a guy. 
whenever we would ask him if I could go to the bathroom, do you know what his response was? I don't know. Can you? And I was like, dude, <laughs> quit with the, with the attitude. Just let me go to the restroom. And so not only did he teach me, but he also taught my uncle. And then he also taught kids that were in my youth group. They were smart, though. They made T-shirts with a picture of Larry Russell on the front of it with a blurb that said, I don't know, can you go to the bathroom? <laughs> they were brave. But he was a guy that really made education exciting and interesting to me. And then there have been pastors and there's been dads that, that I look up to that I want to share the same values. But then there's also these people unintentionally that we look up to them, and it's because their opinion matters to us. And we don't even know it matters to us. And here's how we know it matters to us. When they say something we don't necessarily agree with or we don't like about us, what happens? We get really upset. Or they say something kind. They say a word of encouragement about us. And we feel ourselves kind of like, like, I'm pretty awesome. Because they said something. Their opinion matters to us. And so I want you to know, like, I want you to look, who do you look up to? Whose opinion matters to you? And then we have to go another layer is, is what do they believe and what do they value? Because odds are if, if, if you're around them and you're listening to them, you're spending time with them, most statistics say that you become the average of your five closest friends. And so what they value and what they believe, you spend enough time with them, guess what starts to happen? You start to value what they value, believe what they believe. And so when we're looking at these social influences, we ask ourselves these questions. And then the last part of, of I want us to look at it, at our core identity is abilities and personality. Um, abilities and personality. Some of you may want to pluralize personalities. I don't know you, right? Um, <laughs> right? I'm just kidding. Um, but abilities and personality. Um, again, at the beginning of the day, I have one personality. At the end of the day, I have a different personality. Um, and this is where we have to be careful that we're not comparing ourselves to those around us. You know, our starting point just finished up. And at a, during starting point, we take a personality profile, um, and we take a spiritual gift profile so you can see how you interact with the world, with your personality, whether you're an extrovert, introvert, whether you like details or you like people and, you know, or, or what your gifting is. And if we're not careful, um, we will play the comparison game. But we need to understand what these giftings are and how we're wired because that can help us feel more confident in who we are and as we understand how God has created each one of us uniquely, it can help fight against the comparison game. Look, I know we all still do it, though, right? Is that, that, that we see the things that we're weak in, and we actually give those things more authority in our life than we do the things that we're best at. Or maybe that's just me. You know, you guys didn't notice it, but last, last Sunday, first service... Uh, I'm, I'm putting the notes in for the screen now. Um, and so last Sunday, first service, there was a ton of misspellings. And mis like, apparently I spelt Lens, S-L, see, I can't even do it right, right? I spelt Lens, L-E-N-S-E. That's not how you spell Lens, Stephen. That's Lens A. It's a French Lens, right? But Grammarly and spell check didn't catch it. And so I had no idea. My wife came to me afterwards and was like, babe. Do you have any idea? No, I did not, because Grammarly didn't check it. 
I'm terrible at it. But we fixed it so you guys didn't see it. And so I really struggle. Like one of my greatest weaknesses are details. Details and keeping up with things. Told the story, I was in Costa Rica on a missions trip. Um, And in a matter of three days, I left my cell phone on a charter bus that we had used to take a day trip. In another country, don't have my cell phone, freaking out, how do we get it? Two days later, we're leaving Costa Rica. We get to the airport. My pastor's wife's like, all right, everyone get your passport. Not there. I was wearing cargo shorts. I'm checking these pockets. <laughs> Not there. Maybe I didn't, maybe I left it in my luggage. So we get our luggage off. Now, mind you, I'm the executive pastor of a 1,500-member church. I should have my stuff together. I'm unzipping. I can't find it. People are starting to whisper. Pastor Stephen doesn't have his passport. And I go to my pastor's wife. It's like, hey, Pastor Sherry, I think maybe I left my passport back at the hotel. It's actually a bed and breakfast. And so I was like, hey, I got to... I got to go back to see if it's there, and our flight leaves in like two hours. I'm in another country. I jump back on the bus. I go back to the Airbnb. I'm looking under the bed. I'm looking in the garbage can. I strip the sheets on the bed. It looked like the DEA had come in and searched the place for drugs by the time I was done. So I'm thinking maybe, maybe it's on the bus somewhere. So I go back on the bus, last-ditch effort. If not, it's about an hour and a half. My church is about to leave me in Costa Rica. And in between the seat and the wall, my passport, I guess at some point I'd taken it out or I'd put it in my pocket and it came out and it slid. And so I'm wrestling with this whole thought of I'm supposed to lead a church and I can't keep up with a cell phone and a passport and I'm misspelling things. And, and people were like, how, does he, how is he able to do this? But he can stand in front of a crowd and communicate. Like, where's the breakdown? You know why? Because I have different strengths and giftings. And so I want you to look at what you're able to do and don't define yourself by your weakness, but understand you have strengths. And like what one of my strengths is, I'm able, if I've had a couple of conversations with you, I know your name. I know a little something about you. Had one of our team members call. I was like, hey, um, what do you know about such and such, such and so and so? And I was like, oh, I, I didn't have to look it up. I was like, well, they've been coming about three or four months. We're looking for another church. He's retired military and, you know, they're loving the church and gave him some other details like, I was like, ah, how are you able to do that? Because I don't have to worry about keeping up with my crap or grammar, right? <laughs> I'm making room in my brain for all that kind of stuff. You know, you just kind of get to that point. It's like, all right, God, you've wired me this way. Now, now here's where we have to do. We have to see ourselves through that lens that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I am wonderfully complex. And so we ask ourselves, what am I good at? And then we ask ourselves this question, like, What do I find joy in? Because Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes. He says, God keeps people so busy enjoying life that they have no time to brood, is the word that's used, ruminate, worry about the past. Worry about where I messed up. Worry about, it's like, you're going to mess up. You're going to fail. But we keep moving forward enjoying life because God's created you fearfully and wonderfully. But we build that on, on, on beliefs, on values, on social relationships and our giftings, right? But at the very bottom, holding all that up together, the identity of who we are is built in our beliefs, right? 
But before David even gets to this, all right, because the truth of who we are is important, but even more important than the truth of who we are is the truth of who God is. So before David even gets to the point of saying, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, he gets to the point. He starts with talking about how awesome and how great God is. In verse 1 of, of Psalm 139, he says, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. God, you know when I sit down and when I stand up, you know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. We need to remember that sometimes. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. You go before me and you follow me. Think how great. Like he's, he's before us, he's behind us. And he says, you place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. So God made me wonderfully complex, but also in that as he's making us, he knows me completely and intimately, guys. That everything that you have done, are doing, will do good and bad, he already knows it. And so we can't hide it. I don't know if this is true. I heard a, I heard a guy one time give an illustration that um, if, if, if a cat comes into a room and there's spilt milk, when they come in and they're drinking the milk and, and eating something they're not supposed to, they will come in and they will close their eyes. Toddlers do this too, by the way. Because if they close their eyes, they think, if I can't see you, you can't see me. <laughs> and sometimes we live in a relationship with God thinking, well, if I can't see him, he probably can't see me. And we can look at this from a condemning conviction thing, like, oh, you better act right, God's watching. Or we can come from a grace perspective and say, God sees me and he loves me and he's chosen me regardless. Doesn't give us a free card to do whatever we want, but an understanding that, that when we do do the things that disregard and, and, and discount the grace he has, we don't have to hide from him because he saw us while we were doing it. Because he sees us and he knows us intimately and completely. And then he con continues on. He says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. In verse eight, he says, if I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, you're there. If I dwell by the farthest oceans, you are there. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and light around me to become night. But even in the darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. The other truth about God is God is with me in every season. He knows me intimately and completely, but he is also with me in every season. And and. In all reality, we may not feel like God is with me when I'm far from him, but it's not that he's far from you, it's your heart is far from him. Because his heart is always close to you. You know why? You're created in his image. His heart is always close to you. He is always, Jesus even promises the disciples, I will be with you even until the ends of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So no matter how you're feeling, no matter what you're going through, no matter what decision, how you're feeling about yourself, God is with you in every season. Um, and between those two things, God's omniscience in knowing everything, God's um, you know, omnipresence in being everywhere, absolutely nothing catches him off guard. And we bring these things to him thinking he's going to be surprised by them. 
He's not. He's grateful that you're coming to him, not just that you're bringing them to him. The most important part in that is that you're coming to him. Right? And so in understanding these three lights that God has made me wonderfully complex, that God knows me intimately in every season, um, and he is with me in every season. Psalm 139, David finishes with this. Verse 17, he says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. How precious are your thoughts about me. The truth of this, and I want you to write it as this, God is crazy about me. Really. He really is. And it says his thoughts about you are precious. And if you were to take inventory of your thoughts about you, in all reality, how precious are your thoughts about you at times? Would you say that your precious thoughts about you outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore? Probably not. Because if you're anything like me, my negative self-talk is way more than my positive, encouraging self-talk. One of the first times this verse really kind of stuck within me, we were in the transition season from youth ministry to adult ministry as an executive pastor. And we took, you know, I took about three or four weeks off of work in between jobs. We went to the beach and I'm in this transitionary season. And and I was reading a book called What God uh, Meant for Good by R.T. Kendall and wrestling with how like um, God saw Jacob and Jacob or Joseph and Joseph saw himself. And I remember being on the beach and I had sand on my fingers and I saw the grains of sand on my fingers. And like, you gotta think like how small those are, like the shapes, it's like salt. There's just so many on a, like on the tip of my finger and was reminded of this verse, like God's thoughts about me are precious and they outnumber the grains of sand on the shore. And there was probably 100, 150 grains. And in reality, there's times where I may not have 100 to 150 precious thoughts about myself in a, in a week, <laughs> right, at times. We go through those seasons, but God's thoughts about us are precious because God is crazy about me, really. And so as we're looking at this core identity of who we are, of our beliefs, our values, our relationships, and our abilities, I, I, I really, like, your homework is in the next couple of weeks, I want you to get alone and do that. The first time I did it, I was in college, didn't really understand it. And then when you start getting at a certain age, you start getting a little more retrospective. And as I was turning 40, the 39th year, I'm answering all these questions. Because I remember sitting in my pastor's office when I was 24-ish, and he was reading this book called Halftime, making the second half of your life better than your first. And I remember him telling me about that book, and he was my age, maybe a little older, thinking it's going to be years before I have to read that book. Those years went by really quick. And so it was 39, I was reading that book and he's talking about understanding your beliefs and your values. I was like, man, this guy's a genius. I can't, I can't wait to learn more from him. And I get to the last page and I realize he's went on to be with the Lord. The life can go so quickly. And we can't know who we really are 
unless we take time and spend time with ourselves. And I saw this disturbing um, graph on Instagram a few weeks ago. And it showed the relate the time you spend with all these people you have relationships with. And it shows as a parent the time that you spend with your kids over the course of your life that it's really high. And then as you get older, it gets less. And that as a kid, the time that you spend with your parents is really high and it stays high until about your mid-20s or 30s. And then life happens and you spend less time with your parents. But then it showed the graph of the amount of time that you spend alone by yourself. And you know what it showed on that? That the longer you live, the more time you spend by yourself. And you have to understand and know yourself. And the greatest way to do that, as we've been saying this, is to know the God who created you. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3. He says, in this new life, because as believers, we are in a new life. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, civilized, uncivilized, slave or free. None of those things matter. Because you know why? Those are all first level, second layer, first layer, second layer. Those are, those are given identities. Those are chosen identities. But he says, what matters most, Christ is all that matters and he lives in us. That's core identity. And so next week as we look, all right, now who does God say that we are? We know that we're made in God's image. We decide who Christ is in us. We take an inventory and see who we are, what we value, what we believe. And now we're going to come in next week and, and, and surround it with who Christ says that we are. And if you're here today and like you can't know any of this without a relationship with Christ. And so I want to pray for you if that's you today and you've walked away from a relationship with Christ, you've never had one, there's nothing that you have to do except say yes and surrender. It's simple, but not always easy. And it's taking this life that you're trying to create in your way and surrendering to Christ. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed as, as we wrap up here, if that's you today and you need to say, Jesus, I give you my life. What I'm doing is not working. What I'm doing is filling me of shame, filling me with guilt and all these things. And I wanna surrender that to you, acknowledging that I cannot restore my relationship with God on my own. But it's only through the sacrifice of Jesus. If that's you today, would you do me this favor? Just lift your hand, you can put it right back down. That lets me know who I'm praying for. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, look up here at me and here's what we're gonna do. Actually, let's stand. Um, I'm gonna pray pray for us. If, if, if that's you, I'm going to pray. And as I'm praying, here's what I want you to say. Some form of this, of Jesus, I give you my life. That's surrender, that's submission, that is repentance. There'll be other things that you say, but that's where we start. And then for the rest of us, here's what I want is that we would, we would have a clear heart and a clear mind of how we see ourselves through the lens of how God sees us. And I want you to take an hour, if you can get it over the next couple of weeks and really write out, what, what do I believe? What do I value? Who do I look up to? And what am I good at? Because God's put all those pieces together to create who you are. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you.
God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. And I thank you for the patience of our people as they receive it. God, I pray that something that was said today would um, awaken um, your spirit in us, would awaken a curiosity and a desire to know you more, to know more about ourselves as you've created us. Um, God, that we would walk in the truthfulness of our identity, not what's been given to us, not just what we get to choose, but the core of who we are, fearfully and wonderfully complex. And God, for those that are here today that lifted their hands or maybe they're in their heart, they know that what they're doing is not working and a change has to be made. They don't know what that change is. That change is saying yes to a relationship with you. That the work has been done and their part is surrender and obedience. And that as we end today, God, that they would, they would know you and have a desire to follow you. And we thank you.